0: Hebrews chapter 10. If you've got a Bible, we're not going to use PowerPoint tonight. Hebrews chapter 10. and verse 31, 32, verse 32 is where we're going to start. The book of Hebrews was written to Hebrew Christians throughout the uh, Roman Empire. And a lot of these people, when I say Hebrew, I mean cr- Jewish, these people had come to Christ and they come to Christ with great zeal and great excitement. Here's the Messiah. He's going to come back and you know, many of the church in many places they after a little while they started realizing, you know what? He's coming back, I guess, but they thought he was coming right now. I mean, just in the next few days he was coming back and and he didn't. And that was a hardship on some of them. I mean, mentally, it was just hard for them to to stay with it. And and a lot of these Jewish Christians were um, they were thinking about going back to Judaism. And um, he talks to them about how Christ is better. Jesus is better than the angels. He's actually the Son of God. He's better than all the old sacrifices. He's better than the Levitical priesthood. He's better than Moses, the great prophet. He's better than all these things. You need to stay with Jesus. And then he tells them this in verse 32 of Hebrews 10. He says, But call to remembrance the former days in which, after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of affliction. He says, Call to remembrance. When you were illuminated. Now, do you know what illuminated means? If you illuminate something, that means you turn on the lights, right? It's dark and then you turn on the light. Have you ever been in a dark room and all of a sudden a light got turned on and wow, it's just you know, it's just hard to see. You just illuminated. He said, Do you remember when you were illuminated? Do you remember that? When you were in darkness, but you came to Jesus? you came to Christ. Do you remember? Do you remember the zeal and the excitement and the joy? I tell you what, I thought I was going to convert all of my friends and everybody I knew and it was just the greatest thing in the world, right? And You got so much zeal and you're just so excited and happy and and joyful. You found Christ and doesn't always work quite that way. But you know, when you very first come to Christ, he said, remember that. Remember the zeal that you the excitement that you had back then. Look in the next verse. He says, Call to remembrance the former days, in which after you received or you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of affliction, partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. He said, When you came to Christ, do you remember. You would take anything for Jesus. A great fight of affliction. He said, you were a gazing stock. Do you know what a gazing stock is? A gazing stock is that kid that all the other kids stare at, laugh at. Some of y'all this week, not all of you, but some of you have seen my hat. I've got a little uh, Irish hat that I got. My wife bought it for me for my anniversary while we were uh, traveling. And it's, it's from John Wayne. I tell people it's a John Wayne hat, you know, from when he was in The Quiet Man. But it's a little Irish hat. You kind of know what that's like. I wore that a little bit around this week. We went into Mel's Diner, and I had on that little hat, and that waitress the whole time just stared at my hat. <laughs> she never looked at me or any. She just stared at my hat. That's a gazing stock. What is that? You know, that's, that's different. That's... He said, you were happy to be a gazing stock. Every school has a kid that people pick on, right? In my school, there was a guy named Selby, Glenn Selby, and I don't know why everyone picked on him. They just did. He was the gazing stock. He just Everybody made fun of him. Everybody laughed at him. And You know what you didn't want to do? Even those of us who didn't make fun of him and mistreat him, you didn't want to hang around, Glenn. <laughs> you didn't want to be uh, you know the one that everybody laughed at because you were hanging around with the gazing stock. He said, but for Jesus, you were happy to do that. You remember when you first became a Christian, you had that just nothing's going to stop me kind of zeal. He says in the next verse, You had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves you have a better, in heaven a better and enduring substance. He says, You took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. You got stuff. Stuff that you like. I've been in a lot of your homes. You got stuff. You got stuff that's important to you. Do you want other people to get your stuff? No, we don't want other people to get our stuff. It's my stuff. It's not your stuff. You know, back here, a lot of times you lost legal protection when you became a Christian. And if people wanted to steal your stuff, they could and they wouldn't get in trouble for it. He said, you know what you did? You took it joyfully. You want my stuff? Here, let me hold the door for you. Help yourself. You can have my stuff. Why would they do that? Because... They knew in heaven they had a better and enduring substance. You may take my stuff. You may even take my life, but you can't take my Savior. You can't take Jesus away from me. No matter what you take from me, you can't get Jesus. So you want my stuff? You want to steal my car? You want to take the possessions I have in my house? Help yourself. It says, you took it joyfully. I I can just in my mind think about if the church here was that way, if they began to attack churches and you had trouble here, and I came and I showed up and they had burned down this building and there wasn't nothing left but like that one up in town that burned, you know, y'all see that? And I walk up and you're all around going, yeah, high-fiving and hey, I'd be going, man, these people are, they were excited. That's fine. I can suffer for Jesus. Do you remember the zeal? Knowing that about these people makes this next verse one of the most puzzling verses in the whole Bible. Look what he says. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. What happened? These people were about to quit. These people were excited, they would take persecution, they would stand up for Jesus, they'd let people mock and laugh at them, they'd give away everything they had for Jesus. And now they're about to quit. They're going to throw in the towel, say, I'm done. You know, in America, we have a lot of that. We have a lot of people who come to Jesus almost like you'd buy one of those rainbow vacuum cleaners. You all remember those? $1,200 $1,200 or 2000 or $5,000 vacuum. I don't know how much they cost. Real expensive vacuum cleaners. You can try it for 30 days, and if you don't like it, we'll give you your money back. A lot of people came to Jesus that way. A lot of people today come to Jesus that way. They're sold a bill of goods by these health, wealth, and prosperity preachers on TV that'll tell you, oh yeah, you come to Jesus and your life will be good. Checks are just going to show up in the mail. The tornadoes are going to jump over your house. Your kids are going to get off drugs. Your life is going to be great if you'll just come to Jesus. And people say, yeah, I want some of that. And they come to Jesus and guess what? you don't get checks in the mail and the tornado still knocks down your house and you still get cancer and your kids are still on drugs. And they go, I don't, I don't want that. I'm not interested in that. I have no interest in that at all. And these people are about to give up. You know, after a while, you get tired of being the one that never gets invited to go out with the people at work. Because you're the weirdo. You're that Jesus freak that all I want to do is talk about Jesus. You get tired of always having to be the one to do the right thing. Well, you know what? They need to do the right thing sometimes instead of me. You get tired of that. And these people were about to give up. Now, he goes ahead then and gives them... A few things to think about. This is what we call the hall of fame of Christian faith. And he starts in verse 1 of 11 and says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What is faith? Well, it's evidence of things not seen, right? I have something in my hand. Sean, what do you think I've got in my hand? A coin. Might be a coin. Coin would fit in my hand, right? I mean, you can know that I don't hold uh, Donald Trump in my hand. I mean, he wouldn't fit in there. There's a lot of stuff you can know isn't in there, but could be a lot of things, right? Could be some lint, could be fingernail clippers, could be a dollar bill, could be all kinds of stuff. Now, I'm going to look in here and I'm going to tell you that I hold in my hand a purple can opener. Do you believe me? Nope. (laughs) Okay. Zane, do you believe me? No? Britt? Britt believes me. Okay. This is the illustration of faith. You've got evidence of something you haven't seen. The evidence is, I looked at it and I told you. Right? That's the evidence. Now, if you believe the evidence, you have faith. If you don't believe the evidence... You don't have faith. Now, it doesn't matter whether I've got something in my hand or not. This is just an illustration. Were you there when God created the world? Did you see it? No. So how are you going to know? Well, God said, this is what I did. You've got evidence. God said so. If you believe that, then you have faith. If you don't believe that, then you don't have faith. Has Jesus ever spoken to you personally? How do you know He exists? Well, you've got evidence. If you believe the evidence, you have faith. If you don't believe the evidence, you don't have faith. Any of you ever seen heaven? How do we know? We've got evidence. If you believe the evidence, you have faith. If you don't, then you don't have faith. Now, that is a purple can opener, isn't it? (laughs) It sure is. That's eyesight knowledge. Someday you'll see heaven. Someday you'll get on your knees and bow in front of Jesus, and He'll be there. Someday. That'll be eyesight knowledge. But until then, we have to live by faith. And you see, faith isn't determined by the situation that I'm in. Faith is determined by whether or not I believed the evidence that I've been given. And if that evidence is true, and if that evidence is real, and that evidence is good, then I will have faith when I believe that. Okay? He goes ahead and talks about people who had faith. He says, through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are made which are seen were not made of things which do appear you see we believe that God created the world by faith verse 4 by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain Abel offered by faith a more excellent sacrifice what does that mean well that means God told him here's what I want you to do and this will please me he believed that and did it Cain guess what he didn't do it Abel had faith and Cain didn't you look down uh, in verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. We talked about that once already in this meeting. He'd never seen water fall out of the sky. Does it make any sense that water's going to fall out of the sky if it never fell out of the sky before? And it's going to cover all the mountains when that never happened? No, but he believed God because God said it. So he had faith. By faith, by trusting what he was told, he didn't, he goes through, we could go on and on about, one of my very favorites is uh, down here in verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. You know, I, I like to ask young folks what their favorite Bible story is. and I've been doing it for years. I have never had anyone tell me Isaac was their favorite Bible story. You know Why? Have you read the story of Isaac? Nothing happens. I mean, he just lives. I mean, there's no great miracles. There's no, nothing happens, really, other than his dad trying to kill him. But I mean, the rest of it, nothing happens. Okay, well, that might be a big deal. But when he gets old, you know what he says? I hadn't seen any of it happen in my life, boys. But God said so, and it's going to happen. He trusted God even when he hadn't seen a move the whole of his life. He talks about Moses and all these. We get down toward the end here, and he says in verse 32, And what shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, and David, also in Samuel, and the prophets... He says, I could tell you about all these people, but I run out of time just like somebody thinks, yeah, we've got a long way to go tonight. You're about out of time, preacher. He said, I don't have time to tell you about all of them. But he says, here's what we do know. He says, through faith they subdued kingdoms, they wrought righteousness, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouth of lions, they quenched the violence of fire, they escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, they waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the alien, women received their dead raised to life again. He said, all these great things these people did by faith. Would you like that to describe your life I mean, turn to flight the enemies of the alien, win these great battles and do these great things, have people raised from the dead. Isn't that great? But he doesn't stop there. He goes ahead and he says this, verse 35, And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonments, they were stoned, sawn asunder, were tempted, slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens, and caves of the earth. Do you want some of that? You know how these people got through that? Same way the people that won great victories got through it. By faith. All by faith. They trusted in God. They never doubted and never turned away from Him. Now look in verse 39. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. They did not receive the promise. You remember Abraham? God said, look out, see this land, I'll give it to you and your kids. Abraham looked out and he saw that land. You know when Abraham died, you know how much of it he owned? One cave that he bought to bury his wife in. Didn't God promise to give him all of it? If you read Hebrews 11, it says, when he looked out, he didn't want that land. He wanted a city whose builders and found whose builder was God, who had foundations in heaven. You see, he didn't see that piece of dirt in the Middle East, he saw heaven. He saw a dwelling with God. And that's what he wanted. And I believe Abraham received that, you see. But he didn't receive it in this life. They didn't receive their promise in this life. That's where these health, wealth, and prosperity preachers go wrong. They want to promise you the reward here. And I stand to tell you, don't think your reward is here. If you do, you'll get discouraged and quit and give up. Your reward is not here. Look at chapter 12 and verse 1. He says, wherefore, seeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which has so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. He says, we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Who are they? Well, they're people he just talked about, right? And I used to think, yeah, we've got Abraham and all these people watching us run our Christian race. That's not what this is saying. The word witness can mean two things. A witness can be someone who watches something happen, or a witness can be someone who testifies to the truth of something, right? Like in a court of law, a witness testifies to the truth. These are witnesses that are testifying to you about this race. See, Abraham ran the same race Moses did, the same race Sarah did, and the same race Daniel did, and the same race Barak and all these other guys ran. That's a race of faithfulness serving God. And he said, when you run that race, he said, you're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. I think of myself in this huge stadium like the Olympics, and I'm running, and the stadium is just filled with people, and they're not watching me run, so to speak. I mean, if they were, they would be pretty disgusted, I think, with some of the ways I run sometimes. You know what they're doing is they're going, Go! 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 Keep running! They are testifying that the race is worth the running. He says, run with patience. That race that is set before us. My wife runs 5Ks. That's 3.1 miles. She runs in these races. I don't. What I do is I stand at the finish line. And I wait to see her coming, and I say, Go! 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 And you know, one of the things I've learned about racing is all race, every person who ever races, you know what they're running for? They're running to the finish line. That's where they're going. And if the finish line is right here, they run as hard as they can to that finish line. they don't go, Whoa! You never finish a race that way. They run for the finish line. You and I are in a race. What's the finish line? It's the day you die. That's the finish line. What do we do? We spend about half our lives trying to stay away from the finish line. That's where the reward is. She's run a race and got, I don't know, first, second, or third, somewhere up there, and they give her this little thing. They don't give you that until after you finish the race. You don't get the reward until you finish the race. This race is a race for the rest of your life. Run for the finish line. All these people testify that it's worth running. And then he says this. And this is what I wanted to finish with this sermon. Looking unto Jesus. That's where we started, isn't it? That's where we started last Sunday. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the author and finisher. You know, when I think of Jesus and faith, I think of having faith in Him. But that's not what this verse is talking about. He's saying, you look at Jesus as the perfect example of faith. Not only is He the one we have faith in, He lived a life of perfect faith. Look at this. It says, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus, when He went into that grave, when He took your sins, He went into that grave with the promise of His Father, I'll bring you back out. And He had total faith. Not my will, but thine be done. Total faith. You see, Jesus did perfectly what Moses tried to do. He did what Abraham tried to do. Moses and Abraham failed along the way. Jesus never failed. Jesus never. And that's why he says, when you run, you look at this perfect example of a runner. You look at one who perfectly lived by faith every step of the way. And he says, set your eyes or fix your eyes on Jesus, looking unto him. That that word there in the Greek means when you stare at something you just can't get your eyes off of. You just go, what in the world is that? And you just put your eyes on it and you can't get your eyes off. And that is my concluding message to you. Set your eyes on Jesus. You run this race. You have got a great church here. You've got got such an opportunity. The things y'all do for people in this community and the light for Jesus that you are here in this place, I praise God for that. Set your eyes on the finish line. I mean, go till you can't go anymore. Set your eyes on Jesus and run for that finish line because I promise you, God promises you, the reward is there. It's just there after you cross the line. Don't get discouraged because you don't get a reward between now and then. Get and go.